Hi, everybody. Art Barter with the Servant Leadership Institute today. We have a great podcast for you today, a great guest. Maya Huchan is with us today. She's the author of Saving Face, How to Preserve Dignity and Build Trust. She's a speaker, author, business coach, and I love what she talks about in helping leaders understand cross-cultural management. So Maya, great to have you on board today with SLI. Welcome. Thank you, Art. I am very excited to be here and look forward to our conversation today. We've been trying to do this for, this is our third time. We finally got it done, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Between the two of us. So Maya, tell us about the book, Saving Face. What's it all about and why did you write it? You know, um, I have been coaching and working with leaders around the world for over 25 years. And over just the course of those, those 25 years, I have learned a lot about leaders' challenges, their frustrations, and their success stories. You know, of all the challenges that the leaders deal with, and of all the conflicts that arise in companies big and small, that they often have some of the very common traits. They often experience issues like burned out, or um, disengagement, you know, unmotivated workers or um, low performance. And when you, when I think about all of those different issues and the most consistent characteristics, the missing in nearly all of those interactions is how people treat each other in terms of face. Okay, so I have shared with them this face of concept of face that really resonate with leaders at all levels, across cultures, across geography, across time zones. And it is so essential to their leadership, but it's also counterintuitive sometimes. So what is face? Face is a universal concept beyond its origins. So the concept of face permeates all levels of social and business interactions. It speaks to the common human desire to be accepted and respect it. So when you hear this term, it's not about the money. The real issue is often about face. And so when I start writing the book, I, my hope is really that this book will serve as a catalyst for all forms of communication, you know, from those that occur between multinational corporations down to individual interactions of friends and neighbors. And while the primary audience of this book is business leaders and managers, entrepreneurs, and professionals. But I also would really like to see this book to benefit individuals who just simply want to improve how they relate to people. You know, so how teachers relate to their students, how parents communicate with their teenagers yes. you know, in so many different social contexts. I have to tell you, Art, that I, since the book uh, came out this year, I have heard so many people told me that yeah, this, this book actually helped me communicate with my kids and my, my spouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that is something that I, um, I was so grateful and so happy to hear. Sometimes you get feedback like that that you didn't expect, but it does warm your heart to know that you're impacting people's lives in different ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Now you talk, you talk about face as being the social currency. Yes. Yeah. Expand on that a little bit for me. Because we, sure. we could use some social currency today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so first of all, I define face as uh, individual self-esteem, self-worth, 
identity, reputation, status, pride, and dignity. It's all of that. When you think about face, it's represent the person inside and out. It's how they see themselves and also how other people perceive them. So well, when I look at face, I, I see face as our new social currency in today's world. In other words, the more face you have, the easier and faster you can get things done. So just imagine, Art, that how you build a supply of face with someone by continuously making deposits. You know, we build trust and we express gratitude and appreciation. We compliment them and recognize for their contributions in public and in private. Or we empathize with them. We put ourselves in their place to understand their challenges, their frustrations. We give people their voice equal time and weight. When continuously making those deposits, you know, some this can be small deposits, some can be big deposits, but we do that continuously, consistently, day in, day out. Now, when we need to make a withdrawal someday, we're careful not to make somebody lose face. For example, we provide feedback in a way that saves space and preserves dignity for others. And if we mistakenly cause them to lose face, the relationship can still be saved if there are enough deposits to cover the withdrawal. I like to look at this as, um, you know, the overdraft protection. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I love what you say about the equal time and weight. My takeaway there was, was about the voice and, and hearing each other, giving them equal time. That part fascinates me because, you know, listening is, is not one of the better uh, behaviors that a lot of leaders have or even a lot of individuals have, especially in today's environment. There's not a lot of, a lot of listening going on. There's a lot of talking, but not a lot, a lot of listening. How, I'm curious, the deposits versus the withdrawals. In overdraft protection, if you don't have enough uh, deposits, you can't overdraw. And right. you know, how, does that, how does that happen <laughs> in, in this currency? Yeah, I'm kind of curious about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, when we think about relationships, right, that if we don't have a, a foundation of trust and mutual respect, the, the foundation is very shallow, right? And so it would be very difficult if I have said something that unintentionally might have offended you or come out wrong, that you may never forgive me for that. And, uh, but I may not know this. Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, of the damage that's being done. So it's so important for us to, to kind of keep that in mind when we interact with others. You know, going back to the, the, the example that you mentioned earlier, give people equal time, their voice equal time and weight. Okay, so why is that important? Is that it's a sign of respect that to make people feel they're being heard. And their point is being heard and also it's being considered and people are interested in knowing what they really think. So, you know, that's so important in, a, in, a, in a, any environment, particularly in the workplace, mm -hmm. that people need to feel safe. They need to feel comfortable. So then they speak up and, you know, in business meetings or in a team meetings, they share their thoughts, they share their ideas and 
they, they feel comfortable of saying what they really feel and not have to worry about how other people may judge them or cut them off or undermine their points or even being punished for saying was for speaking up. So it is something so important, but so basic, but it's not being practiced in a day-to-day work environment. Sometimes people actually feel they're being discouraged for saying something, or you know, they may be very often that someone will say something and uh, nobody make it, you know, kind of make a, make a comment or listen to it. But uh, 15 minutes later, another person said the same thing. And then everybody said, wow, what a brilliant idea. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of situation that we wanted to avoid when in a workplace that to make people feel that their voice is being heard, they feel valued and included. And so leaders need to be able to really pay attention to this kind of dynamics so people don't feel they're being excluded or sometimes actually feel like they're under uh, underappreciated. Right, right. Yeah. And I think I think in the book you used a term called psychological safety. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. So psychological safety, it's it's something that has been talked about quite a lot in recent years. So psychological safety, it, it really means that you wanted to create an environment that people feel comfortable, people feel safe to be themselves. Right. So let me kind of first give a definition of psychological safety. So psychological safety is a sense of confidence that the team will not embarrass, reject or punish someone. Okay. So it describes a team climate characterized by interpersonal trust and mutual respect in which people are comfortable being themselves. And this was a definition that provided by uh, a Harvard Business School professor, Amy Edmondson. Okay. So it is so essential to have that psychological safety in the workplace. You know, psychological safety actually it's, you know, it's it's a very similar to physical safety. Mm-hmm. Right? So when people feel safe, they act differently than when they don't feel safe. When people don't feel safe, typically there are three reactions. They fight uh-huh. or they fight. Right. Or- yep. They right, they fight, they fight back, and they, they become more aggressive. Or second uh, reaction is that they flight, meaning they, they run away, they, they, they avoid the situation altogether. And the third reaction is freeze. And this is the third, the third reaction is actually one of the most common yeah. behaviors that you notice that what happens when people are free, when people freeze is that they checked out, they, they stop talking, they become very quiet. And they stop sharing their ideas and they basically show up as almost invisible. Right. And when you have people who are either fight, flight, or freeze in your workplace, can you imagine how that would impact our performance? How would that impact people's work? Right. And so on the other hand, when people feel safe, they're more relaxed. They tend to take more, take more risk. They speak up more and they, they laugh more and they, they, they're more creative, yeah. right? And then they also feel more empowered to take actions. And so their energy tend to focus on getting the job done, do a good job and focus on problem solving rather than self-protection because it takes mm-hmm. a lot of energy 
if you you're so busy protecting yourselves. And then when you focus on that, you can't be doing your best work. Right, so right. that is so important when it comes to it's not just a nice thing to do <laughs> to have psychological safety, but it's really going to hit the bottom line of yep. our business if the leaders does not create that kind of culture. Yeah, there's times in running uh, our company, Daytron, where I know that the real true conversation that needs to take place to solve a problem will go on without me in the room. And yes. it's best for me to get up and let the team go solve the problem without worrying about what does the boss feel about, about them when they say certain things, right? And so Absolutely. sometimes the, the way we help the team best is just get up and leave the room room and go get a cup of coffee and come back when they invite us back in, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yep. And, and that not only created a, a psychological safety for people so they can really share their, their what they really think, but also the outcome can be much right. better. Exactly. Right? The leader is has built enough trust and has a sufficient social currency with his or her team, then the leader can actually be sitting in the room and then people can still debate. They can still share their ideas and uh, without uh, the fear of being put down or yeah, punished. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things I've, I've seen over the years, and I, you can expand on this because I'm sure it's come up in, in some of the things you've studied, is people bring their experiences in life and other companies with them. And most of the time, those experiences aren't the positive experiences. And yes that impacts their ability to feel safe in that environment you're trying to create for them, right? Have you, have you experienced that? Absolutely, yes. And, you know, I think people do bring their experience, their, their past experience to work. If they have had some very negative experience with their previous company or perhaps even with their previous bosses, that they, they tend to, you know, still remember those scars that yeah, or the right? wounds yeah. that they have, right? And then so they continue to assume sometimes that sometimes not aware that they actually tend to assume that, that this new environment or new company or new boss is going to act or behave the same way. Yeah. So, so those kind of assumptions can, can really hold people back and keep them from doing their best work. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier about, I think it was related to when you're talking about face, it was about how people see themselves and how others see them in an individual. Okay. I can see myself one way. If I'm worrying about what other people think of me, there's gotta be a struggle between those two data points, right? Within me that impacts the psychological safe being able to open and, and have open. Can you talk about that struggle between here's how I see myself and here's how I think I have to be seen by other people. Now, this is uh, something that I think for, for people who are in the workplace often that uh, experience that dilemma. It's that, you know, sometimes that you're, you, how you see yourself is not the same as how other people perceive you. Right. And in my you know, decades of working with leaders, one of the, 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 the most common thing I do, particularly when I'm coaching executives, is to get an assessment of what we call 360 uh, feedback. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. And it's to, it's, the, the purpose of that 360 feedback survey or interview is to get the people's anonymous, confidential feedback about how other people perceive you as a leader. 
And so in the survey, you, the leader also will fill out their self-perception about how they think they're doing as a leader. How do they think they show up? And then we also collect data from their boss, their peers, and their direct reports. And then we get all this data together and look at this as a composite of how other people perceive you. And this process is very, it's, it's eye-opening for so many leaders. It is. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times we don't see how other people see us. We have blind spots and many of us have blind spots. And we may sometimes see ourselves doing quite well in certain, certain ways, but not realizing that other people may have seen us in a different light. And, uh, or vice versa, we rated ourselves much lower than how other people see us. Right. Mm-hmm. So this kind of assessment process we call 360 feedback is such an um, eye-opening experience for so many leaders that to help them understand where the gaps are and the self-perception and also the other's perception, how do you align them, right? If you know that there is a gap, why, there's, why is such a gap? And what can you as a leader, individual leader do to close the gap so that your self-perception is going to align, going to be aligned with how other people perceive you. And then so you are authentic, you are consistent, and you show up the way that you would like to show up. And then so there's no misunderstanding or there's, you know, it, we, can, we can close the gap that way. And that's one of the key ways, key reason I think that when we have um, executive coaching is to help leaders really see those differences in terms of perceptions. Right, right. Now, the interesting part in the 360 feedback, when you're dealing in a multicultural uh, leadership team, right? What a word may mean here in the United States and what it may mean in Taiwan. You know, I went through a 360 when one of my leaders was from Taiwan and he rated me pretty low on a behavior. I said, well, wait a minute. I don't know. You know, everybody else rated me pretty high. Well, when I had a, a discussion with him, I found out that that word actually meant something different in his culture than it did here in the United States. Hmm. Do you recall what that word was? Humility. Oh. Right? So I went, yes. okay, well, this is interesting. I, I, I want to meet people where they are, but I, yes. have to, I have to step away from my U.S. environment, and I have right. to go with them and go, okay, it means something different here, right? Yeah. And, I, and that's what fascinated when I saw you, you helping leadership with that cross-cultural environment. So share share with us a little bit about what you do in that area, because that part really fascinates me. Absolutely. So what I've done in my work in cross-cultural management is to help people, regardless which culture you're from, right, is to first to increase your self-awareness of what your own cultural values and your own cultural preferences are. So, you know, a lot of times that it's like fish in the water that we don't always understand or realize who you are, you know, as an individual. And then we, we see, you know, I'm like a fish in the water. I live and, and breathe in this, in my own cultural, my whole life, that everybody else seems to act and think the same way I do. So until you actually move to another cultural or interact with people from a different background, you will you realize that wow, you're really different. Right. What's right. wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the, uh, as a, as an intercultural uh, consultant, that my job is first and foremost to help individuals realize that how unique your cultural your cultural is as individual. 
based on the way you were brought up, the, the, the environment you live in, how you were, you know, how, how you learn and throughout your education and your work experience and your social norms, uh, all of that. So then we first understand your own cultural uh, unique characteristics. And secondly, is to help leaders or international managers understand the culture that they're interacting with. What are the differences? To identify some of the differences and gaps. And this can range from, you know, the most fundamental, you know, values and traditions and beliefs to what kind of food we like to eat, what kind of music we listen to, or what kind of uh, clothes that we're wearing, you know, any of that language, you know, it, it, you name it, there's a wide range of topics that could be different from culture to culture. So they need to learn as much as they can about the culture they're interacting, they're doing business with. That's the second step. And then the third step is that how do you then adapt and bridge the differences so uh, so that's that's the most difficult part is that you know i have done many research on global leadership and um in fact i co-authored a book called global leadership the next generation and when we did the research um studied hundreds of leaders around the world and uh, one of the questions i asked the leaders was that what do you think is the most important characteristics of a effective, successful global leader? And I heard from hundreds of them over and over again, it was one thing that was consistent, was adaptability. It's not about how long you've been working in the industry, how much, what degree you have, or you know, how many years of experience you have, and, or technical skills you possess. None of that. It's really about how adaptable you are. And if you are adaptable, you're open-minded, you know who yourself and you know the other people you're working with and you can, you can adapt and you'll be able to style switch and still be authentic, maintain your integrity. At the same time, you can adapt to work with people from different backgrounds. And that is such a key element for global leaders. Yeah, it's interesting. I, one of my first assignments in my, early in my career was to go into uh, Zimbabwe and work with the government there on a radio project. And what I learned was, you know, in, in the U.S., we, we all got our calendar, we got appointments, we got this, this, this. Well, in, in Africa, it's a little different. You may have an appointment to see a minister on Monday at two, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You may not get in to see him until Thursday, right? Right. And <laughs> right. we have two choices. You can leave and go, I, I don't have to put up with this. Or I go, okay, well, we're here to help people. We're here to serve people. So I'm going to meet him on his time, not on my time, right? And I, I find that fascinating with leaders around the world where a leader doesn't understand the culture that they're doing business in and just makes very innocent mistakes, very innocent mistakes. And they wonder Absolutely. why they don't have a relationship, right? And then, you know, that kind of bring back to the, uh, the topic of face, right? You can offend people. You can cause somebody to lose face unintentionally. And in fact, most of the time when we work with people who are not necessarily from different cultural, but also even just, you know, uh, somebody we don't know very well, that we can offend them and make them feel humiliated, unappreciated, or disrespected for something that we've done, but we're, we do so unintentionally. I grew up, you know, our, I grew up in Taiwan. Right. So I have when I grew up, I, I remember there was this very old saying that I learned from my teachers and parents. 
And this is a very old Chinese proverb, like probably 3,000 years old. It says that spilled water is hard to regain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just imagine if you accidentally knock over a glass of water and it spilled all over the floor. How hard is it to get it all back into the glass? It's almost impossible, right? And even you manage to get some back into the glass, you still want to drink it? Probably not. So what this saying was really about that we need to be mindful and to be intentional about what we say, what we do, particularly as leaders. And when something is said or done, that regardless of your intention, that if it has a negative impact on others, that you can't get it back. You cannot take it back. Yeah, and and even even when you try, you you never get it all back in the glass, do you? Nope. No, you can't. Nope. No, nope. you can't. Nope. When you get it back, it's all going to be cloudy and muddy, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to share a story with you. Oh, about, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So one time a client of mine told me that I was on. I, I, had a, I was coaching him. This is a leader that has been um, is from Singapore and has been working in the, a, um, a global company headquartered in the U.S. For, for 20 years. And his boss is American. I know his boss quite well. So I, I was on the call with this, my coachee, the Singaporean, and he said, well, Maya, I'm really upset today. You know, I just got on the phone with my boss, and uh, God, I was uh, really awful. He said, what happened? And he said, well, we were talking about something, and then he said I was, I was stupid. He said, really? I was, you know, so I, and I knew his boss, and I was surprised that he would say something like that. So I said, well, tell me exactly what, what happened. So he said, we were talking about the new idea about this project and we're brainstorming. And I I shared with him what I thought might work. And my boss said something about, oh, it's a no brainer, right? And so he was humiliated because he thought no brainer means I you have no brain, so you're stupid. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so as soon as I heard that expression, I told him, I said, okay, well, before you get too upset, let me tell you what that means in American culture, right? Right, right. <laughs> so once I explained to me that this is, I mean, no brainer means it's obvious. It certainly does not mean anything about you're stupid. So that, that was just the expression. That was a slang. And so he was so relieved that when he heard that, because, yep. you know, he was so humiliated and he would never go back to his boss and say, why did you say that? Why did you say I was stupid? He was just feeling terrible. And then he may actually, uh, this, this may actually damage the relationship he had with his boss. Because mm-hmm. and then his boss may have no idea, may, may, may be completely confused about what happened to our relationship. And then so once I, I explained to him, and then he was able to, you know, move on and feel so much better about the situation. But this is something could happen to anyone. Yeah, you can have, you know, unintentionally cause somebody to lose face and you don't even know it. Right, right. Now, you talk about three areas of face, honoring, losing and saving. Take us through each one of those and give us some examples of what leaders do in each one of those. Okay, so uh, we just talked about losing face, right? That's something we wanted to avoid. Another concept is honoring face. So honoring face are actions that taken to show respect, admiration, and grand dignity to others. So when we honor face that we can lift people up, we can enhance their, build their confidence, and we can 
uh, build our trust with the other person. So how do you honor this? It's really not rocket science. There's, there are things that we can do. It's like making that small deposit. There's things that we can do every day. For example, we really listen to them. Not just thinking about how to respond, but really listen. And ask for their input, give people credit where it's due, and, and express our appreciation for what they do, and acknowledge their input, and uh, always assume positive intention. Okay, and uh, when you honor face for others, you are sending a message to the other person that I see you, I hear you, you matter. And I always like to quote this, this saying by Maya Angelou. She said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Absolutely, yep, exactly. And yep. That's, how, that's how that's honoring face is all about. Mm -hmm. So losing face is something that we talked about. And so when people lose face, it can promote a wide range of negative emotions, such as shame, fear, anger, guilt, vulnerability. And, you know, and those negative feelings can directly impact how well they perform at their work, how much they speak up, how much, how often they, they ask questions and how they share their ideas and even how long they stay with the company. We may not actually hear people say the words like, oh, I feel like I've lost face at work. They may not use that those words, but you, you can, you much more, more likely you're gonna hear people say, my boss didn't appreciate what I do. Right. Oh, you know, yeah. my team, they don't really treat my ideas seriously. I don't feel I'm being heard. Yeah. I don't feel yeah. like I belong. When you hear those expressions, that deep inside, that they just feel like they are, they lost face and they're not being treated with respect. Right. right. So that's the second concept, losing face. Now, the third concept is saving face. And that's really the most important concept here is that the how, it's a, it is a, a, the authentic and intentional act of turning around the situation to preserve dignity for all parties involved for a positive outcome. And so saving face is an art. And then I think the key word here is that it has to be authentic and it has to be intentional. Right. And then we strive for a positive outcome for everyone involved. So one of my favorite stories, it's about a leader who helps somebody save face. Okay. So Jeff, let's just call him Jeff. It's not a real name. So Jeff is the financial director of a company. It's a global financial organization. And he was facing a big crisis. So under his watch, a frontline employee has stolen over $100,000 in an eight-month period. So as the finance director, Jeff had designed and deployed the entire cash flow process that allowed this employee to commit the fraud undetected. So it was a high-profile case, and it was discussed not only in security meetings, but also spread quickly throughout the entire company. Everybody knew about it. So Jeff felt entirely responsible and personally victimized. It was an example of losing face big time. Soon, the company's COO planned a meeting with Jeff and his team. The stress consumed Jeff. He lost weight. He couldn't sleep for days. And he even developed a bad rash. 
So for days, Jeff felt like a dead man walking. Perhaps made it even worse was the hardline reputation of the COO. So when the day arrived, the team waited nervously in a conference room, and the COO just flew in from Germany. He walked in, and Jeff's dread and anxiety was impossible to ignore. The COO broke the tension with just one sentence: "I don't care about the fact," he said. Well, theft is unavoidable, whether you run a hot dog stand or a multinational company. He said the company was insured and would be made whole. The COO said, "I only want to know that you plan to review the process and fix it, and you seem well on your way, from what I can see." Jeff's demeanor immediately brightened. For the rest of the meeting, Jeff and his team and the COO focused on problem solving. And Jeff returned to his job with renewed energy. The COO had saved his face. Right, right.、Uh, so how did the COO do it? Right. So number one, he created psychological safety. Right. While right. holding Jeff accountable at the same time. So it's not just about the psychological safety, but also he hold him accountable. Didn't let him get off the hook. So he was both kind and firm. He chose his words carefully. He showed humility, and that's your magic word, Art. Yeah, humility, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Yep.、Mm-hmm. He showed humility and emotional intelligence when dealing with this emotionally delicate situation. He helped Jeff overcome shame and embarrassment very quickly, and refocus his energy on solving the problem and moving forward. He sent a clear message: "I trust you. I have confidence in you to do the right thing, and that is saving face." Right, right. Wouldn't the world be a totally different place if we had more leaders like that? Absolutely. You know, helping、Absolutely. people save face. Yeah, I, I think I think what hit me, Maya, was it has to be authentic and intentional. Yes. Right, and intentional, which means the leaders got to take time to think about what they're going to do. Before they they start doing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I like to、um, think of that as you know, we, the leaders we can't just like operating like we're on autopilot every day. Right, right. right?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to get off that autopilot to really pay attention to the people we're working with, then the people we're interacting and in, and in, in every day, and、uh, be intentional and be authentic about what's really going on. And you know,、um, I like to also think of like in old days. You know, Art,、um, do you remember we had those radio that we have to pull out those antenna? Yes. Yep.、Mm-hmm. In order to hear stuff, right? So what happened when the antenna was down? You, you can't hear anything. Can't communicate.、Right? Yep. That's right. And、uh, so, but then、uh, you know, and sometimes you can hear a lot of static if the antenna is not all the way up. But if we pull the antenna all the way up, then all of a sudden. We can hear the music. We can hear the the conversation. Everything becomes so clear because we receive signals from all different directions, right?、Mm-hmm. And so I like to think,、uh, you know, us each one of us like has a human antenna in our head, and we should keep our antenna up. And、uh, whether we work with our employees, working with our business partners, with or with our family, with our neighbors. Is to keep the antenna up, and then just pay attention 
to what is going on in the in, in the in the context in our environment, what's going on with the other person, and then you you'll be able to kind of interpret some of the verbal and nonverbal signals, and you'll be able to adapt and really empathize and knowing what they're coming from, and then to be able to have a productive and positive relationship with whoever you're working with. Yes, exactly. Yep. Or with family and teenagers and yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It works for everybody. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of times I want to put my antenna down when I was raising teenagers. So, you know, was, yeah, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and, and I didn't get to this chapter in the book, but the last chapter was called FaceTime. You know, if we use that today, FaceTime, everybody's going to think of, of whatever that option is on Facebook, right? But I, right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess it means something different to you. Right. Well, so the last chapter, it's about FaceTime. When I think about, you know, the word FaceTime, is it's about to be able to really master the art of face. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the FaceTime, you know, it's not it's not how we talk to somebody on video on, on our iPhone, right? But it's right. really about taking the time to understand what face means in human relationships, mm -hmm. right? And then how can I honor face for others to make them feel safe and respected and make them feel appreciated? And to really listen and then really embrace the differences that we have with, with each other. And how do we avoid losing face for others? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to be really intentional about saving face for others so that we can have authentic connections and we can break down some of the barriers that can create some misunderstanding and then to have a long lasting relationships. So when there's a, there are, there are um, two different models that I actually talk about in the book, and there are different ways for us to, to really build that relationship, utilizing the concept of face. And, you know, um, I think that if we can just be really mindful and intentional about our own actions and our own behaviors and get off the autopilot and to apply this uh, platinum rule, uh, you know, we all heard of golden rule. Golden rule is that treat others as you would like to be treated, right? right? Yep. So exactly. the platinum rule is actually take it one step further, is treat others as they would like to be treated. Yep. So um, I like to kind of leave that um, as a closing thought is that that's how you know, I think we should always keep that in mind is not a, not to treat others as you think is the right way, but really to understand what's right for them. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I love that because it's all about helping people be the best they can be. And you can't do that when you're thinking from within yourself, right? Yeah. You have to be help, helping them where they are and meeting them where they are. And and not just expecting people to grow because you said you were, they were going to grow. You know, it's it's always amazing to watch leaders ask questions. Why aren't my people getting better? And I always tell them, well, when once you start looking in the mirror first, ask that question first, and start with yes. yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Maya, this has been great. I, I, do you have any final thoughts or comments you'd like to leave with our uh, listeners today? 
one thing I'd like to share with everyone is that, you know, um, as we are continuing to, uh, to work uh, and live in this very challenging time, you know, we look at this big world out there that we're going through right in the middle of a global pandemic. And we are, we have a domestically very polarized climate, very divisive environment. And mm -hmm. uh, there's also social injustice that if we can all keep in mind about, you know, looking at each other, really listen to each other and hear each other, and then to try to understand each other and then treat each other with respect. I think that we'll be able to resolve a lot of the issues if we give each other a chance. Exactly, exactly. And I like to tell people, you don't need permission from anyone to treat other people with dignity and respect. The only person you need permission from is yourself, right? Just a wonderful, wonderful uh, time today. Maya, I really appreciate it. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. And I love the different perspective you bring to the table in this, uh, especially with the cultural worlds that we're, we're dealing with and the current environment here in the United States. It's always good to hear some good, positive things. So be authentic and go honor other people today, honor face in, in yes. all you do. So, yeah. So thank you again, Maya. I really appreciate it. Everybody listen to this podcast, listen to it a couple of times, take down some notes, go get the book and learn about this. This is, I've learned a whole lot today. I've got a lot of notes. I'm going to go reflect on it and uh, see uh, how I can be honoring face tomorrow. So yeah. Great. Thank you, Maya. Well, Art, we also um, going to give out two books. Okay. Yes. Great. So I believe that um, we're going to collect some names and then we're going to raffle the books out. So I'm giving two books to your listeners. And uh, so whoever the lucky winners are, I, I hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, get your names in. Go to our website, send your names in. And Maya, thank you again. Really, really, I loved my time spending with you today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. The pleasure all right. is all mine. Thank you, Art. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Uh, Art Barter and Maya Huchan from ServantLeadershipInstitute.com podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast. To enter Maya's giveaway, click the link in the description box or visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com slash podcast. Two lucky winners will be drawn on December 4th. SLI Podcast, signing off.